The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 3, Jesus drops some serious knowledge on Nicodemus, knowledge that has reverberated through the centuries and has come to be seen as the gospel in miniature. The conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is ultimately about what we can or should do to enter into God's kingdom. And John's summary of the conversation is, as the kids say, epic. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that all who believe in him would have eternal life. Here's my summary. Jesus is nullifying the powers of the world by proclaiming that God is sovereign in all things, especially your salvation. Therefore, the powers of this world are actually quite powerless, so Christians have nothing to fear. This message of man's powerlessness must have come across as somewhat strange to a first-century Pharisee like Nicodemus. After all, it was good Jews who obeyed the law uh, that entered into God's kingdom. In truth, most men have believed that in every time and place. John's gospel is not especially linear 
So it's not really clear when Nicodemus is speaking with Jesus. Uh, But Jesus was already somewhat controversial or a known person, and that appears to be why Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus at night. He doesn't want any of his fellow Pharisees to know that he's sharing this time with Jesus. At least Nicodemus, at the very least, is curious. And really, this is the kind of conversation that anyone who ever engages in any kind of evangelism uh, would really love to have. Someone curious, someone who wants to know uh, the truth about God sitting across the table from you, open to hearing what you have to say. And Jesus rewards Nicodemus for his curiosity, for his being willing to sit there and listen by telling Nicodemus that he has it all wrong. To be a child of God, to sort of paraphrase a past president, to be a child of God does not depend on what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. At the heart of this conversation, again, is God's kingdom. And Nicodemus, no doubt, is quite certain that he's in a good place relative to God's kingdom. Uh, No one in the community can point to him and point out any sin that he committed or any scandal that he brought into the community or himself. But Jesus is not impressed. He begins talking about the need to be born again, or as this translation renders it, born from above. He says that we must be born of water and the Spirit if one is to even sniff God's kingdom. Now, many debates have taken place about what exactly all those phrases mean, and Lutherans tend, uh, kind of like a reflexive tick, uh, to view all mentions of water or washing in the New Testament as a reference to baptism. And here, Since this beginning, or since this being born from above or born again is the work of God, we would say it fits. Baptism, after all, is something that God does to us or for us without our permission or our demand. We are the passive recipients of God's grace in baptism. And Jesus definitely seems to be talking about being a passive recipient of God's favor here with Nicodemus. Just as the wind blows, after all, wherever it will, so too does the Spirit of God. We can't tell the wind where to blow. We can't tell the Spirit where to go. So the obedient Jew may or may not be a part of God's kingdom. But if he is... It isn't because he is especially obedient. Rather, it is because God, like everyone else, has remade him. He has been reborn, born from above, born of water and the Spirit. Now, it is our firm belief that that is good news. Sounds like good news, right? God does something we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. God saves us. But this would not have been heard by good news, perhaps by Nicodemus, but definitely by those who were in power. For Jesus here is, again, nullifying the powerful. He is taking power away from people 
who would hold salvation over the heads of those who strive to believe. He is disempowering here the Pharisees and all who have laid out a plan for you to enter God's kingdom. Their teaching was, you can do it. Let us help. Jesus' teaching is, you cannot do it. Jesus, therefore, is not making any friends because he is removing claims of power from the powerful. And that is why they would ultimately demand his death. It would be better for them to have Jesus die than for him to continue to expose them. For what Jesus is saying is that we can be reborn and enter into God's kingdom without these particular people, these parties, their prescriptions. We don't have to do what they say. We can not so much go our own way, like that Fleetwood Matt song, but we are free to go God's way without them interceding for us. Well, that strikes some memories of the Reformation. That's exactly what centuries of worth of reformers were arguing with the Catholic Church at the time. Uh, we can obey Christ without these particular prescriptions. You're adding to the gospel. We said this is against the gospel. And do you hear then any application in our own day? Jesus, you see, by his very nature, is a power player. He is, uh, he is uh, someone who is subversive. Not to God, of course. He is obedient to God all the way to death on a cross. But he subverts those who would play God. He possesses all authority. And as such, he takes out the middleman every single time. Whether that middleman is a religious authority, uh, a would-be political messiah, a cultural influencer, Jesus claims monopolistic authority for himself. We always hear John 3.16 as good news. Right? Whoever believes in me can be saved, can have eternal life. But the buried lead is that it signals total authority for Jesus to save or not save those who believe or don't believe in him. And if Jesus has the power to save, well, who can overpower him? Of course, nobody. That is why Jesus empowers his followers to have the confidence of being known by God without these kinds of political or religious parties. That is why Jesus then has always been a threat. That is why the church, insisting that it stands on the authority of God himself, has been the frequent target of revolutionary movements. And that is why Jesus is a threat to the prevailing ethos of our own day. Just this week, our nation's attorney general was questioned by members of the Senate about what seemed to be or seems to be an imbalanced focus on traditional Catholics and pro-life advocates, while those who attack churches or pregnancy centers seem to get off scot-free. Why is it that those who spend time outside of abortion clinics get a visit from armed federal agents 
Or the FBI shares memos saying that Latin mass Catholics could be a good possibility for future domestic terrorism. But every single day on my Twitter feed, I see sort of chaos going ignored. People looting stores in broad daylight, filling duffel bags worth of merchandise and walking out with no one saying anything. Or people, their french fries are too cold at the McDonald's, so they destroy the countertop. Is it planned? Is my news feed skewed? Or is authentic Christianity, setting aside my differences with Roman Catholics on theological matters, on these issues I agree with them, of course, is authentic Christianity a threat to ruling powers who truly possess and desire to implement a godless worldview through police tactics and policy? Nicodemus's issue was how exactly he might be saved or enter the kingdom of God. Not as many folks worry about that today, I'm sorry to say. But those in similarly powerful positions as people like the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, oh, you better believe that they do have a strict ethic, one that they say must be followed. The world has its doctrines too. It's absolute truths that they say must be obeyed. If you want to know what they are, just ask any relatively recent college graduate. They'll be happy to tell you. As a Christian who has received the grace of God, you have the freedom to say no. In other words, Jesus frees us from those oppressive systems that promise us salvation. Because, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, God alone saves by our being reborn from above through water and the word. That is how we enter into God's kingdom. That is power. Not our power, but it is God's power. And it is his power that he gives to us. And when we find ourselves then in hostile territory, we should be glad for this power and the confidence that it gives us. Because men like the Pharisees, they can't own us. We don't need them. God works in spite of men like that, not through them. If it were up to us, I'd be very worried. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't build God's kingdom. It would falter. It would fail. But it isn't up to us. We don't save ourselves. We are reborn of the Spirit, who moves like the wind, wherever he wills. And in many respects, all of our battles in this life as Christians will be against people who believe it is up to them to save the world. So long as they believe they can, they will do their very best to try, even when Christians get in the way. When you feel the pinch, remember John 3. The Spirit is working and moving. God is building his kingdom, and it is a far better thing to be caught up in God's real kingdom than man's counterfeits. Amen.